Hey there, guys and gals, and welcome to episode number 28 of the 100% Wild Podcast. On today's episode, Matt and I are shifting gears for just a bit away from whitetails and instead talking about one of our favorite spring activities, turkey hunting. And joining us today is a world champion caller and expert turkey hunter, Steve Stoltz, who's going to help us answer a listener-submitted question about bow hunting turkeys, as well as sharing a lot of advice on hunting setups, calling techniques, and much more. Now, one quick heads up, though. This interview starts off with a pretty long intro, so if you'd rather just get right into the question of the day and turkey hunting advice, you can fast forward to minute marker 2110. Enjoy. All right, welcome to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon of Wired to Hunt, and with me today in person, this is kind of cool, <laughs> That's Matt right. Drury from Drury Outdoors. How so, are you? I'm good. We've been talking about this for a while, and um, Mark graciously enough decided you know what i'm gonna volunteer to drive your way what was it seven and a half hours seven, seven and a half hours yeah, yeah. so yeah <clears throat> it's pretty cool that we get to finally get to do these in person in studio and um it's been a long time coming so i appreciate you driving out it wasn't too bad i actually got to catch up on some podcasts of my own to listen to on the way out <laughs> here so uh, so now i'm having a excited to be here and do you like what you heard yeah heard some good stuff <laughs> i didn't listen to ours though. i oh. never listened to that <laughs> But who are we with? Who are we with here today, man? Yeah, so we have the champ. We uh, have Steve Stoltz. He is a three-time world champion turkey caller and one-time grand national turkey champion caller. And he was one of the original Jury Outdoors team members. And uh, really, probably doesn't need an introduction for our fans that have been with us since the beginning. But for all those new young whippersnappers, why don't you give us a little introduction, Stevie? Uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, turkey calling and in the 90s was really a, kind of a platform for the outdoor industry folks to, uh, for everybody to gather uh, at shows, at conventions. You'd have the turkey calling championships. So your top turkey callers, which uh, your Uncle Mark uh, did this as well, we just practiced and got together. And that's how I met your Uncle Mark actually was at the Missouri State Turkey Calling Championship. In the mid-80s, it was at Excelsior Springs. I don't exactly remember which Missouri state, but mid eighties. Um, I remember hearing your uncle Mark call in this Turkey calling championship. And I just was so impressed with his, now his head's going to get big, but I, I, <laughs> I don't I, know that it could get bigger. I okay. <laughs> yeah, I was so impressed with his Turkey calling skills. I saw, I met him in a hallway and, and he can tell you, this is exactly how it happened, how I met him. He was coming one direction. I was going the other. Didn't know him from Adam other than he kind of looked like a young long-haired hippie and uh <laughs> and, and and i said i don't know who you are i stopped and i took my i sh stuck my hand out and shook his hand i said i don't know what your name is or who you are but if you keep calling like you called you're going to do well he didn't make the finals he, he didn't make the final uh top eight yeah uh, and i think walter parrott won i was shocking second. <laughs> yeah, at that time shocking but um he invited me he was uh he went home told his parents ralph and and Lucille, and of course, bless uh, Ralph's heart. We just uh, had his funeral funeral yesterday. Yeah, thank you. Many tears, and uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize the contributions your grandfather gave to the outdoor industry, even though he wasn't a huge hunter himself. But not only raising you guys, yeah. but just his contributions. I remember your 
your mom and or your uh, grandmother and your grandfather at every turkey right. calling championship that Mark would call in. And even when Mark quit calling, they would still go to yeah. those Grand Nationals and support the turkey calling and turkey fighting. Yeah, that's right. Grandpa and Grandma, they loved. Uh, they just loved listening to it, being a part of it. They always got a kick out of it. They always watched the, the, the shows, the videos, the VHS tapes. I mean, they were very proud of what Mark did on the turkey calling circuit and what Mark and Terry did together. For jury outdoors, it absolutely, was, it was it was very special. So, so. Uh, to make a, a, a very long story short, probably long still, uh, <laughs> uh, he invited me down to your your grandma and grandpa's house, and Lucille made me chicken and rice. <laughs> And when a fat boy eats, you can't get rid of him. So, uh, and then that's the, the rest is history. I started going down, and 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 we started building calls and and uh, tweaking calls, took, taking our little scissors and cutting uh, and practicing. He would critique my call, and I would critique his calling. And quickly, your uncle elevated to a, a champion caller himself, mm-hmm. uh, placing in the top five in the Grand Nationals in 1989. And then the rest is history and went on to win the World Turkey Calling Championship, yeah. went on to win World Voice Turkey Calling Championships. Just he, He's so intelligent. And you know from the Drury Outdoor mm-hmm. uh, films, he shoots these giant bucks. And those aren't shot by accident. No, Those are shot, those are shot because Mark's a very intelligent individual. Yeah. And he has the resources to manage his white tails he does. And, and so forth. But make no mistake, the man quickly rose to the top of turkey calling very quick. I know he steadily kicked my butt, and you know, here I was helping him, and now all of a sudden he's uh, kicking my butt. So um, uh, fun time. So in 1989, uh, uh, Terry and Mark asked me to go on their first Drury Outdoor film trip, and that was to North Arkansas with Pat Jackson. Um, and I actually the Ozark Mountains, right? The Ozark Mountains. Y'all know Jeff Propes from the Drury Outdoor Series. Yep. Uh, um, Jeff was originally going to go on that trip and had to cancel, so I was the fill-in. Wow! And I don't know if Mark and Terry remember that, but Jeff, it was going to be Jeff, Mark, and Terry on the original Drury Outdoor f- trip. Uh, they bought a camera. They wanted to start producing hunting films, and and we wanted we we felt they felt that that we could do as good a job as anything out there. And one of the things that impressed Mark the most was Will Primos's truth about turkey hunting. Yeah. And uh, which, you know, shows what inspiration the truth was. Uh, and it inspired us to, to, to do better, to, to try and put out a turkey sure. film or, you know, that we could do just and, as well anyway. He always mm-hmm. talked about Denny Golvis and those videos that Denny always had out and that it was always about the sounds that a turkey makes and he had the best at that time it was always the best as far as hearing what a turkey's like in the live as far as the different sounds and vocalizations they can make he always talked about how that influenced him so much but he went back to dad and he said we can do this but let's kill the turkeys <laughs> let's, let, yeah let's just not call them in let's kill them yeah. and so i was invited on that first trip uh first met your uh, your dad terry uh, i don't know if you were even born yet well, well 1989 yeah yeah, yeah. so okay. i was 81 so okay so you were eight, just a little yeah, little boy eight nine uh so we traveled down and mm-hmm. actually shot uh the first film kill ever mm-hmm. in drury outdoor history mm-hmm. and i think when mark shot it terry jerked and uh, she still so, does yeah. <laughs> We call him auto out, auto out of focus. I can't say I do any better, but I will. I'll tell you, it was a, a wonderful trip. We were, had so much fun. I actually killed it. Um, there was three of us, only one camera. I hadn't bought a camera yet for Dory yeah. Outdoors, so 
uh, I hadn't even bought into the Drury Outdoor thing yet. I just I don't know that it was really anything at that point, no, right? Was, I mean, it was the it very was, early stages. It was the early stage, and it was us wanting to create some hunts on film, put together on a video, and and try to sell it. Yeah. And um, to pay for our habits, to pay for our hotel bills, yeah. to pay for our Travel. tags. We had no idea in the 80s, in the late 80s and early 90s, that, that, that it would evolve into a wide-range uh, uh, rental market with videos, and then mm-hmm. eventually, uh, of course, the television market yeah. where the videos faded away. And now um, online. You and know? now it's online, amazing. digital media, yeah. all that. It's amazing. So we had no clue what we were diving into. We just wanted to pay for our habit, pay for our gas, pay for our tags and our hotel. And in that particular hunt in Arkansas, we actually camped out with Pat Jackson. And uh, your your dad will tell you the, the it was the most fun that we've ever had probably on a Drury Outdoor trip. Well, he, they talk about it a lot that in the early days, <clears throat> it's the most fun they ever had, you know, in general with the company. And now it's become, it's, you know, we have so many employees and, and I mean, it's an operation at this point. So we got to, you know, it's kind of a grind. Well, it's an operation in a business. <clears throat> yeah. I so, mean, it's a job. Yeah. And, you know, when you have other people's lively, livelihoods that you need to worry about, you got to make sure, you know, you continue down that path. But at the beginning, it was all about having fun. Right. You know, it was a lot of fun because it was something new and fresh. And I, I just, it, it, to hear those stories and to think back of, of, what all it's evolved into from then to now it's really amazing honestly like to see you know we're sitting here doing a video podcast and you know in the early stages they were staying in campers and and uh you know people i think that are new to the industry or new to hunting maybe some of our viewers and listeners to this podcast they don't realize where our roots right start you sure. know and, and those days it was you know it was, a, it was a lot different than it is now i mean we didn't have the the property you know that we that we do now collectively and uh they were hunting 40 acre club in bloomsdale they were going to public land i mean that's where they cut their teeth on a lot of public land back in the day right i mean do you know that i had uh i'm skipping over a little piece of the story but uh, i had the hardest time convincing your your dad and your uncle mark to travel to where the turkeys were uh, and there were a lot of turkeys at one time, and, and they're yeah. back now in the St. Genevieve County area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's where they started, and they wouldn't leave that. Yeah. They wouldn't leave your Uncle Marvin's place, yep, and, that's, and that's where they wanted to film. Yeah. And I kept telling them, guys, you, you, you'll, you'll get five times more film if you yeah. just go where the turkeys are. Well, when they finally branched out and went to North Missouri and to Southern Iowa and different yep. and Kansas. Rathbun Lake and that one. Rathbun Lake, yeah. yeah. And yeah. Iowa, yeah. Man, they were like kids in a candy store. <clears throat> they just didn't know how to act. They were like, you know, what you were telling us is true. I mean, yeah. this is awesome. And then after that, I don't think they hardly ever went back to your Uncle Mark. Yeah, I don't. Uh, when I was growing up, when I was a kid dad would take me over there we would hunt over there and we would hunt um at a family friends in st jen county billy carl and his family uh, we would hunt those places but we, you know it, mostly it was always traveling after after you guys started doing those first couple years of videos sure we always went somewhere mark heck still i mean he's getting ready to start his turkey tour and he'll go Probably Oklahoma, Texas, Florida. I mean, he goes yep. all over the place. Absolutely, he's ate up with it. He oh, still yeah. is. After all these years, as much as he loves the big deer and and you know all these giants that they're seeing and killing, he still loves and and I think is more passionate about turkey hunting than 
than anything. I think so, and it's it's because it's it's so enjoyable. One thing, uh, so I don't skip over how I joined actually joined Drury Outdoors after going on that first trip is Mark and Terry uh, talked me into purchasing my own camera, and that was kind of my basically buy into Drury Outdoors is if you purchase a camera, start producing film for us, eventually we'll create some kind of... Uh, <laughs> we'll uh, do something with it. <laughs> we'll do something with it. Uh, maybe so, you know, start paying your expenses yeah. and stuff like that. And that's how I got involved with Drury Outdoors. You know, and that set up our team structure from that early, those early stages to this day, any of the Drury Outdoors team members, they own their camera equipment. They, you know, they're independent subcontractors for us. And we purchased their hunts at the end of the year you know if they're if we you know if we need them or whatever and based we, on quality yeah or based whatever. on quality yeah. and we try to uh, supply them obviously with the gear um but but they still have quite an expense i mean the expensive parts the the land that they're hunting and the camera right. and the camera gear that they have so uh, uh that set our team structure from the early days later on in the jury out in my jury outdoors career um that's exactly what your your uncle mark or your uncle mark and and your dad would would have me do is I'd work with the new uh, videographer teams. And what we'd try and typically do is send them on a hunt with me um, a few times and just kind of get them acclimated to infield production, yeah. to what they need to get, uh, you know, before, during, and after a hunt. Because it's no different now. I mean, you can't – you have to tell a story. Um, uh, the difference is you have to tell a more complete story. Yeah. Before, you could just cut, you know – cut the camera on in the tree show the hunt show some cutaways does not that that way anymore it's 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 evolved to people want to be with you from start to finish people want to be with you in the archery shop when you side in people want to be with you when you put that new sight on your gun people want to be with you when you on every aspect and when i say people they they want to know because that's the that's the entire learning experience from start to finish yeah yeah. So yeah, they, they, the the question goes beyond why was that deer all of a sudden the, the camera cuts on and now the big deer is walking by the tree. That's what we used to be able to get away with. Well, because at the time most people weren't seeing a lot of big deer. You know what I mean? I right, mean it no. was rare to know somebody in the late '80s, early '90s that was killing big deer consistently. And we, you know, Jay Gregory and Don Kiske, I think that's what drew Mark and Terry to those guys because they were killing these giants that we weren't even seeing at that time. You know, we, I say we, Mark and Terry and, and, and you guys. And so in the mid nineties, I think is when it really started kind of switching for, for jury outdoors and the amount of big deer that they started seeing in there too is because they had to start traveling to see them. Well, the jury out, the fans of jury outdoors uh, would be uh, shocked to know that we did not know how to, my biggest whitetail I'd ever killed was a two and a half year old when we started jury yeah. outdoors. Uh, and I think Mark's and Terry's same uh, thing, same thing. Yeah. Uh, now your dad might've shot a few mature deer in St. Jen County. Yeah. He, he um, killed a probably 125 inch yeah, deer yeah, down yeah. there. That was a giant, you know, yeah. at the time. But for the most part, we were not trophy whitetail hunters Yeah. Uh, per se, uh, or into whitetail management. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was Jay and Don that actually, uh, if a good word to put put it way to put it cut our teeth or at least showed us how to cut our teeth on yeah. big whitetails yeah they were the ones that said hey start hanging your stands for wind direction instead of right on sign yeah start start not not pressuring your spots too much kind of lay back and watch how the deer are moving and then 
figure out where to put a stand rather than jump in and slap up a stand right on top of all the sign and wonder why the big deer aren't there because yeah. basically you're running them out yeah. when you go in to hang a stand. So all those things we learned from Jay and Don, and it turned our whitetail hunting career completely around very quick. It did. I, I've mentioned how intelligent uh, not only your dad is, but Mark is when it comes to hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a mad scientist. He is. And when you tell him a little information, he's going to go with it. And it didn't take us long instead of diving down in these hollows. And we were hunting uh, southern Iowa and northern Missouri. We were hunting where the big whitetails were already. And in Pike County, Illinois, yeah. by the way. Yeah. A lot of people <clears throat> thought in the early years we were getting all our big whitetails in Iowa. We were not. We were getting most of them in Pike County, Illinois. They, at the time, Pike County wasn't on the, the map no. like it is. No. I, mean, they, I mean, they're part of the reason why... It became what it it did. We uh, was a Heartland Lodge. Yeah, Heartland yeah, Lodge. Yeah, Harpo's Heartland Stan Lodge. Potts was uh, uh, instrumental in, in a lot Stanley of that. Stanley was and with us for a few years. Absolutely. It uh, it's amazing what that evolved in. Honestly, some might say it it ruined Pike for a while there because it became so outfitter heavy, and then they really almost killed out a complete class of whitetail because they were running so many people through there. I've the, often collectively. As as a as a group, I I don't don't take this wrong for landowners in Pike County, Illinois, but I've often said that Drury Outdoors should have gotten at least maybe fifty cents an acre for sale price uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in in Pike County, Illinois, uh, of of the amount that it jumped up from when we started filming yeah. to what it went to because land prices pro- I'm going to just say might have started four hundred dollars an acre when we started filming, and now it's three or four thousand dollars at least, an acre. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah we, we definitely had a part in that. But that was the birth, the start. And, again, I want to reiterate that when we started Drury Outdoors, we just really wanted to pay for our passion. Yeah. That's all we wanted. Uh, and, uh, again, not knowing at all that, that, that it would turn into an industry and a business that it's turned into. My affiliation, of course, now with Night and Hail Game Calls, Mossy Oak Camouflage. Always there. Toxie. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have met Toxie if it wasn't for Mark, yep. your, your Uncle Mark. Yep. Uh, the first time that Mark met Toxie was at the at the Natchez World Turkey Calling, World Voice Turkey Calling Championship. And Toxie was looking for somebody in the Midwest to, uh, you know, uh, get Mossy Oak kind of known more in the Midwest yeah. and, and start, you know, a better sales ba- base and he said to your Uncle Mark, uh, give me two couple other names of people that, that would wear Mossy Oak. And I was in love with Mossy Oak from the start. Uh, a good friend of ours, Bob Dixon, was wearing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tied Bob. Bob Dixon and I tied in the 1986 Grand Nationals for fifth place. And I'm so proud of this because Bob beat me in that tie. And that was Bob's only top five finish in the Grand Nationals. And... Bob came up to me afterwards and talked about how, how good we both called and, and uh, it, you know, just how gracious of a man he was. And he was wearing Mossy Oak. Yeah. And Ma- it was the first year they started wearing it. And I looked at him and I grabbed that Mossy Oak on his, and I said, that's the kind of camouflage that I need to wear. And he's, you know what he said? Just stick around. You watch, watch where this goes. He goes, we'll, we'll get you some. Well, I never thought of it, anything of it. And then. Toxie met Mark in 1987 or 88. Yeah, 87. Or 87. And Mark said to me, uh, he said, Toxie, you know, Toxie is looking for people. And I said, did you give him my name? He goes, no. He goes, you're with Night and Hale. And at the time, Night and Hale was with Realtree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
why didn't you set, tell them my name? I'd wear my yeah. Nine Hills just giving me a, a you know a few pieces of of, of real tree and and uh, real trees are great camouflage too. But I just loved mossy oak. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, he goes, well, I'll pass the word on. And then the next time uh, that came about, I hunted with Preston Pittman and Tommy Bourne and Preston in Prentice, Mississippi, where I'm getting ready to go leave Thursday. And uh, same thing. Uh, the, cam- the camouflage pattern worked so well. Tommy Bourne was a big, big man. And I was sitting next to Tommy. Turkey was coming in. And I was wearing Realtree. He was wearing Mossy Oak. It's a true story. And Turkey's going from our right, right to our left. And Tommy's on my left. And so now Tommy's getting to where he could kill it. But he wanted me to kill it. But he's going, Stevie, shoot that turkey. Stevie, shoot that turkey. Well, I'm waiting for the turkey to get completely clear in in the wide open, not a piece of brush between me and the turkey. It's 25 yards. And the whole time, Tommy, big as he is, in Mossy Oak, is move, he's moving as the turkey's moving. He's, and I'm like, Tommy, be still. Because I'm being as still as I can, so the turkey didn't see me. I shoot the turkey. I run out. It's flopping. I grab him by the feet. I turn around to go back, to walk back to Tommy. This is, a, this is exactly how it happened. I, I start walking the wrong direction. I was walking. <laughs> Couldn't see him. I could not see Tommy sitting there, and I just got up from that spot to pick that turkey wow. up. And from that point forward, I set that turkey down. He, put, he pulled his head net down. He goes, where are you going? <laughs> I said, I am going to wear that till I die right there. Mossy oak camouflage. And so he passed that on to Toxie Hayes, and the rest is history. That's Toxie, cool. Toxie gave me a call, and, and I've been with Mossy Oak ever since. Very cool. Well, speaking of turkeys, we should probably get to our question of the day. All right. Yeah. Which is about turkeys. All right. And uh, I know you've got some turkey calls I do. here I and all sorts of good stuff. So, uh, I didn't know what we'd talk about. So. Yeah. Hi. My name is Brian from Westby, Wisconsin, and I am curious to hear uh, some ideas on how to bow hunt turkeys. I know the common method is with a ground blind, but I'm particularly interested in how a guy might go about um, going without a ground blind or kind of the run and gun method. So looking forward to hearing some feedback. Thanks. All right, Steve, what do you think about that one? Well, first off, uh, I I don't recommend bow hunting turkeys unless you have a blind. However, if you just don't if you just want to do it the hard way and make it kind of harder <laughs> on yourself um if you insist on doing that one thing that you have to remember is turkeys will go to a certain point and then they won't go any further when they think they should see a hen so i definitely would be trying to use decoys and hunt more open type spots and the reason why i would try and use a decoy setup is because if you're going to hunt without a blind you're going to need background cover you're going to need you're going to need to be in a spot where they can't skyline you for your bow draw because you don't want them with their attention on you on your bow draw you'll never get your bow completely drawn they'll see you and spook then you'll never get a shot off uh, because their eyesight is so great so if you're going to attempt to hunt without a blind use decoys um, and place those decoys not very far from you maybe no more than 15 yards place them to your left or your right to where their attention is going to be on that decoy and they'll actually walk past you to get a shot and if their attention's on the decoy you've got a better chance of coming to full draw and i'll give you a little little tip if they're if they're going to display if they're going to be kind enough to go ahead and display and strut then let them blow up and display and wait till their tail comes almost completely basically their butt end to you 
where their tail is hiding their head and then come to full draw. And if, and if, and if they're still facing straight away from you, you can actually put your, your sight pin right in the, 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 the butt area of the turkey yep. and drive that area forward and kill them. But uh, you've got to find a way to draw that bow that they won't see you. And, and using a decoy set and, and hunting a little more open spots. And that might even mean if you, uh, it might mean if you strike a turkey and you're in a brushy spot where it's not going to be good for a decoy set, you may have to actually back up 50 or 100 yards into a spot that's more open, set your decoy. In other words, be more wise about where you're setting up than even shotgun hunting. So back up, find an open spot, set your decoys out where, where when they come in, their attention won't be on you. It'll be on the decoys, and then you'll have a better shot at it. Makes a lot of sense. I never thought about that, trying to make sure they're looking past you yeah. not coming straight towards you and the decoys in between you and the turkey you're never like you said you're never going to get away with that draw if no. that's the case and it, which is why it's so important and i personally recommend using a, a pop-up ground blind so, if you're going to bow hunt turkeys pop-up ground blind is the key so tell us more about your setup then with the ground blind anything different you're doing then with your decoys or not at all anything else 15 yards from the blind you want a close shot uh, if you've watched the early Drury outdoors film you know that i'm not always the best shot in the world um, I've, I've, I've I heard done, about that. I, I, I have missed some some big whitetails uh, and some turkey, but uh, no question. The closer that decoy set is to the blind, and remember this: turkeys will walk right up to a blind whether you pop it up two days ahead of time or pop it up uh, instantaneously. So tur- turkeys are don't have a reaction to blinds like a whitetail. It's does. amazing. It why? Is, why is that? They got such that. good eyesight. Why would a blind not mess them up? I mean, they'll walk right up to it, right up to a, a ground blind. It, it's changed the game. I mean, some people are like, ah, oh, it's not as fair. I don't feel like I'm hunting when I'm hunting out of a ground blind. But literally, like, it's changed the game for filming turkey hunting. I, I can tell you that because there's so much that you need to get away with. And um, Jay, I always think of Jay Gregory, cause especially when you bow hunting turkeys. He's unbelievable at it and it's, Jake Gregory is one of the <clears throat> best single hunters I've ever met in my life headshots headshots like really? they, oh my gosh yeah Jay Gregory you should search out his I don't know I think he's got a YouTube channel or whatever their headshot videos are unbelievable and he's been doing it for a long time and and I think that a lot of his success I think he was always a double bull guy double bull blind back in the day I don't yeah yeah double bull yeah, yeah double I think bull. he was yeah. well, anyways he that that changed it for him he said it when he started using that ground blinds and he never liked them you know and when he started using them to to be able to bow hunt it's almost a must you yeah. know but some some guys I guess like a different challenge than others but yeah yeah and and uh one thing about uh ground blinds uh that you have to remember and please remember this always darken the back side of the blind up because um, not only with whitetails but with turkey if they can see through the blind if you have your back windows open where you're in other words if you can see 360 degrees around the blind that's not a good thing because uh, what the animal will do is they'll skyline through that blind and they'll catch movement so you want to, whatever side that you're working on, whatever side the field is on, you, the side that the turkey is working in on, you want to darken up, completely darken up the uh, about 50% of your blind, the back side of your blind. So when you go to draw your bow uh, or move in the blind, even if you're gun hunting, uh, they won't see that movement. Now, you touched on it a little bit ago when you mentioned if they're strutted up and, and pointing away from you, you can, you can target that. The vent, I guess you'd call it. Um, what are some of the other places for for new 
bow hunters of turkeys they can possibly get the vitals well you know first off uh when these archery targets that they come out with absolutely usually have the vitals in the wrong spot in my opinion (laughs) the vitals lay back on a turkey and if you if you look at the drumstick of a turkey so the leg structure of the turkey you're looking you're looking at the back third of the turkey that's where the vitals lay um if you if you shoot forward and low like you would a whitetail you're going to hit nothing but meat you're going to hit nothing but breast right so you either got to hit you either got to hit high almost to the point where you almost miss them high at the butt of the wing which is a spine shot or you got to hit in line with the legs so what i always tell people if you want to kill more turkeys with a bow just use those drumsticks like the leg of like the shoulder of a deer and and try and center those drumsticks so follow the legs up to the follow the legs up to the body and and put your pin there so you're actually aiming a lot further back and lower than than turkey targets so is it different though when they're in full strut compared to when they're you know when they're not i mean does it does it change where the vitals kind of because it makes it look like it's a big target when they're in full strut absolutely and that's the problem is they're, they're, they're when they're in full strut their feathers are, are are in a stimulation uh, effect where they're they're out and they're fluffed up. So you're you may not be hitting exactly where you yeah. think you're hitting. Yeah. So that's why I, I wouldn't recommend uh, shooting a, a head-on strutting gobbler with a bow. You most certainly can get away with that. But again, you, you got to kind of use the head or below the head or the what I call the waddles as kind of an aiming point to drive that arrow through the neck. And then if it misses the neck. Or just hits feathers, it's going to hit the back part of that body and spine. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I've heard like just where the beard meets the the chest. I've heard above that. that. Yeah, above, above that. that. You yep. want to hit above that. Yes. Yes. Yep. Interesting. Because again, even a frontal shot, if you hit, if you aim too low, you're going to hit nothing but meat and bone. Yeah. Is there anything from a gear standpoint? Is there a different type of broadhead that you should be using for turkeys, or anything different? There's there? all kinds of broadheads out now that that have two and a half, three inch. Yeah open uh, especially i think uh, uh rage makes them uh dead ringer i'm with dead ringer yeah. dead ringer makes a turkey yeah. uh a turkey head that actually expands out to three inches uh it's a phenomenal head for especially for turkey hunting and it's an expandable head so it shoots like field tip mm-hmm. so essentially you can sight in for your field tips don't have to change a thing and put those turkey heads on. Yeah, Rage, it's called Extreme Turkey Broadhead. Yeah. I'm trying to see yeah. the... It's so a, basically the big difference between any of these is just a wider... Yeah, cut. this one's a 2.125-inch uh, cutting diameter. Yeah. 100, 100 grain. Yeah. So. I, I'm not a big fan of shooting through a turkey either. I, I don't mind the arrow staying in a turkey. And people say, well, oh my gosh, two and a half, three inch. How are you going to get any penetration? Well, with turkeys, you don't. Right. You want you to break. Want you want, that, you right? don't want that. You want yeah. the damage to be done yeah. and the arrow to actually stay in in them. It, it doesn't doesn't hurt for the arrow to stay in a turkey. But let's be honest. No offense to the question. <laughs> Is it any better than shooting them with a shotgun right now? No, no. <laughs> you know your uncle Mark said it the best, and uh, I don't. You know, I know PSE is a big sponsor for Drury Outdoors, and I love Blake Shelby to death. <clears throat> Uh, and Pete Shepley and that I have so much respect for them, but I'm going to tell you, shotgun hunting, oh. shoot, shooting them in the head all day is the most efficient way to kill a turkey. <laughs> I just tell you that right now. Yeah, when I first started turkey hunting, for some reason I, I was teaching myself, so I had no like dad or uncle or anyone who knew what they were doing to teach me. So I was trying to learn myself, and for some reason. I thought it'd be a good idea to try with a bow first. <laughs> and so the first two turkeys I ever got a shot at, I missed 
wildly. <laughs> so after that, I said, you know what? It's time to try a shotgun. You know, those traditional, kill some birds yeah, <laughs> the traditional guys are like, oh, you use a scope on your shotgun. It's like, yeah, why not? <laughs> I want to make sure I can hit him no matter where he's at. Well, you know, and it just brings me to your, your uncle Mark used to just look at me like I was nuts when I say, yeah, I want to try bow killing one. I got two tags. Yeah, yeah. You know, wherever Missouri, if we're hunting Iowa, I'm an Iowa resident now, uh, and I say I'm in the state of Iowa and I'm allowed two turkeys. Maybe I'll shoot the first one a shotgun and then try and bow kill the second one. Yeah. You know, but he used to look at me like I was nuts. But you know, he changed his thinking. When 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 he actually started, when you guys actually started shooting PSE, yeah, uh, he changed his thinking on that. He started hunting them out of a blind and bow killing them, and yeah. and he real, I know he realizes now how much fun that is. Yeah, you, the 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 accomplishment of bow killing a turkey is far above shotgun killing one. I, I, I thought I wanted to try it a couple years ago, and I thought, well, I got two days to hunt here, so let's just use yeah, the shotgun. <laughs> I've had the opposite the last like five years now. I've killed one like the first day. And now I'm trying to find ways. To, I want to extend my turkey season. Yeah. So sure. That's why this year I'm going to Absolutely. try with my bow, just because I want to be out there more. Well, because arch- archery definitely fun. is a way to extend it. But I will definitely tell you, there it, it is a different animal than shotgun hunting. Yeah. Completely different. So that, it was a great question that there, yeah. uh, your your viewer sent in. So in Michigan, how many tags do you get for turkey season? We just get one. Okay. One well, bird. How's the season? How long is it? So there's a there's kind of a convoluted couple different things, but I usually hunt what's the first season. It's a two-week season. You can use any weapon, two weeks, um, private land, the one I, that I hunt. So yeah, I've, I've been using a shotgun. I'd kill usually the first day, and then I'd go out and take buddies, or I'd bring my dad down, and do some stuff like that, kind of guide, just so I could be out there still hunting. Sort yeah. Of. So I think last year I was on like five successful turkey hunts. Awesome. Um, which was fun. But this year, going to try the, the old stick and string and see what happens. You find so it's relevant. How's the population in Michigan? I was just going to ask yeah. that. I'm sorry. It's good. It's good. Now, I haven't turkey hunted in Missouri or Iowa, so I don't have anything to compare it to. But it's it's very a very healthy population from everything I understand. Um, we definitely don't, though, at least where the different places I've turkey hunted. I've never been anywhere where you see flocks of hundreds or ridge lines of 30 guys i know you have only place um, i've ever been where i've seen something like that was nebraska it was unbelievable nebraska right now is one of the most phenomenal states for turkey population numbers i've never seen anything like it um especially western nebraska yeah. is so loaded and filthy with turkeys it's not even it's it's crazy i'm wondering if a guy wouldn't still have a tough time getting one simply because when they're when there's so that many, many eyeballs <laughs> that many eyeballs and when they're flocky and, and, and when they tend to have that flock instinct uh you can ask your uncle mark and and, and your dad and you probably know by now matt that uh, they, they become a, a lot tougher different animal yeah than when they're more scattered and yeah you can't pull them up. away you can't pull away so the, the thing that when i hunted in nebraska and that was it, this has been a while back that probably seven years ago it's the first time i had ever seen the fanning technique mm. ever used i had never seen that before because yeah. uh, you know at the time we were sitting this was really before we started using ground blinds heavy too so it was sit at the tree and well you'd run and gun you'd you'd, you'd locate and then you go in and try to find sure. one and then you're you're sitting at your tree but with these guys out there it was amazing like the fanning technique we were almost it was like a spot and stalk i had never quite been a part of something like that and it was crazy how successful it was and uh, i know mark now uses a lot of uh he fans a lot but uh, at the time we we hadn't done much of it that looks like a blast yeah yeah they they have a lot of success with it it's crazy you know one of one of the things that uh i didn't mention um in the setup for a ground blind 
uh, are for hunting without a ground blind for bow hunting is uh, the the fact that that uh, or your ability to use a mouth call is going to help. And there's friction calls. There's uh, different kinds of friction calls. There's tube calls. There's all kinds of calls. And most calls you have to use your 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 hands to operate and if little side note if you're gonna get into to bow hunting turkeys or turkey hunting period you gotta learn, uh, you gotta learn <laughs> that mouth call it's you a get a one. get get a mouth that call is, you know and and i'm and, feeling bad about my chances now yes well, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. another call. reason to hunt with a shotgun <laughs> and, and so did you want to go yeah, over let's some hear, of, let's hear it uh, yeah. so uh one of the things that i think is overlooked is you have uh you have a lot of a lot of people really fixed on on the the loud calls, the the cutting, the yelp, and the and the the reality of it is that's great to learn, but I think it's more important, especially when you're bow hunting and bow hunting without a blind, as your as your uh, caller just asked, um, learn the soft call. Learn the clucks and purrs. Learn the soft yelping. The soft calling is going to kill you more turkeys than that loud, aggressive calling. Loud, aggressive calling is great for locating, but to seal the deal, especially when you're bow hunting, you got a call in your mouth and you got a turkey close, but you're trying to get a shot at them, but you're not trying to move, learn the mouth call and learn the soft call. Clucks and purrs, for instance. I do it with the end of my tongue. And I just put a mouth call in my mouth and... So you're at full draw. That's all you got to do. And now you're not moving and you're waiting to get that shot to move him. So that's so important. Um, and then, of course, you're, 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 you're more, um, you, you know, obviously you want to learn to yelp. And any yelp with a mouth call is a, is a high note and then drops into a back end. Then add realism into it. Don't just yell. Put some clucks in there. Put some excitement in there sometimes. And sometimes if you're going to soft call, that's what you got to do. So there's a difference between just turkey calling and then turkey calling effectively. And turkey calling effectively is putting realism in there. And realism would be if you put the call in and... Now, if you went into the woods with I mean, I, my, you know, what I would do is try to find a Steve Stoltz and bring him with bring you. Him along. <laughs> that might be the best tip of the day. <laughs> now, Steve, can you can you walk us through um, situational or situation? So, so my question is, I guess, when do I do that type of yelping versus when do I do? I mean, let me take this all back. No, no. Are there different situations where you have different types of calls? You always know if there's, so, there's a turkey far off and he's strutting and hung up, I'm going to do X. If he's close mm-hmm. to this, I'm going to do would Y. Would you be more aggressive when he's out mm-hmm. and he's, you know, he's stuck and Absolutely. he's not coming? Absolutely. Yeah. Louder, more aggressive. But, I might even <clears throat> switch to a, a – I like to switch calls up. I might switch to a, 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 a box call. <laughs> you 
it carry even louder than that i might i might go to i always like this is our new canyon cutter by uh night hail and it is an aluminum call and ever since the early mad years when we come out with the super illuminator yep. i never hunt without aluminum call yeah. it has that higher pitch yep. it has that high frequency out there and you can get them to gobble with it but definitely when they come in closer i'm going to tone it down there comes a point where you have to let them hunt you so then you have to tone your calling down and even sometimes stop calling and let them hunt you. So so more or less, you've got their attention. You got them walking your way. They see the decoy probably. I mean, there's not many times you probably don't have your decoy out with you, right? So right. at that point, they're just trying to – it's kind of like they're coming in for their final moments. You know, they're – Now, we'll tell you this. When, I, when I'm hunting, I don't always use a decoy. In fact, I only use a decoy – in uh, certain situations, obviously bow hunting in an open spot. Um, I'll use a decoy if I've got a turkey roosted on the edge of a field and I'm set up, I get set up in a pitch dark close to their roost site where I think they're going to pitch into the field, I'll set a decoy set out. So there are some situations where a decoy set is absolutely a killer. Timber hunting? No. Timber hunting, I leave the decoys at home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if they can't see them from a long ways, I've always heard Mark and Dad talk about it. If they just pop up and see it, yeah, it spooks them. It can spook them. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, Even it, if they're hearing your calling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, what I, to go through the scenario, uh, to get a turkey roosted isn't always roasted, we always say, but it is so important to get one roosted. If you, it just gives you a game plan for the next morning. You never know if weather's going to change, wind's going to come in, rain starts coming, you know, a front moves in. You never know what's going to happen between the evening before uh, and the next morning. So to be better prepared, you ha- it, to get one roosted just puts you in, in, in a better position to get one killed. Number one, you know exactly where he's yeah. at. How many times have you roosted where that, that next morning you get out there, you, you kind of get your calling, you got decoy set up, and they just fly somewhere else? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, right. ah, dang, we were yeah. right here. But at least you had a hunt. Yeah. And if you don't get one roosted, you don't have a hunt. It's, the- it's always amazing because that feeling you have in the early morning hours – and you're hearing them gobble, and you can see them on the limb. you got your binoculars up, and you're That's watching nice. them. Like, it's the best. You're like, this sucker's dead. Yeah. He is dead. <laughs> and then he flies down and goes the other way, and then, you know, the, the woods wake up, and everything kind of starts heating up, and you're you just like, crap. <laughs> now yep. what? we got to start running and gunning. Cut, you know, let's get the blind down and pack up, and let's find another flock. Thus the roosted ain't roasted uh, yeah. theory. But uh, definitely you're going against Mother Nature trying to call a turkey in early um, so what i do is I try and get one roosted if i have one roosted then i'll try and get tight tight on him and try and cut down the distance that he has to travel to me uh, without spooking him out of the limb obviously by knowing what tree he's in uh, you got a lot better chance of not spooking him yeah. and then what i'll do is i'll start off if it starts getting light i'll try and let him gobble first listen for the spit and drum i don't think if i ever do a, a turkey hunting book uh, i'm going to do a whole chapter on the spit and drum and not only not so much the hunter producing the spit and drum but the hunter identifying the spit and drum and how important it is to hear uh, and be able to hear that that sound because especially in high pressured areas public hunting areas uh, areas in the deep south where turkeys are a lot tougher to kill the ability to hear 
to be able to hear in course that spit and drum is going to kill you more turkeys than anything else because a turkey is still going to put out that spit and drum sound even though he's not gobbling. So the next morning, after you get one roosted, he don't gobble at all. But if you hear him spitting and drumming, you know he's there. You know you're in a ball game. You know you don't have to move to go to find another. He's close. He's close. (laughs) He's very close. And um, so uh, what I do is I'll listen for a spit and drum in the morning. Uh, If I hear it, whether he gobbles or not, I'll give little soft tree calls. I'll wait till it starts getting light. Now, I like to, in particular, let them gobble on their own. Love that. Once they gobble on their own, that's when I'll give a little soft tree call. And the reason why I do a little soft tree call is I want them, a turkey will, will try and put their sound out to attract a hen. So that's why I said we're going against Mother Nature. Turkey's trying to uh, gobble in a hen to him. Okay, so he'll go on one side of the limb, then he'll gobble on the other side of the limb. That's why a lot of times people think, oh, he flew out, and he hasn't. Just turned. He's just turned. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to direct, direct that sound, and what you want to, him to do is pitch out your direction. If he pitches out the opposite direction, you got, believe it or not, and this is how crazy turkeys can be, and who knows what their thinking is, because they don't even know what they're going to do three, three minutes at a time. Right. So... If you can get them to pitch out your direction, you've got a lot easier chance of calling them in from that roost site than when they pitch away, even though you're talking a matter a distance of 20 yards. For whatever reason, if they pitch the other way, they have a lot harder time turning and coming your direction. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll start off with small little what I call tree talk, and it's just soft, low calling. Notice I do the little, the little tiny. If I get an answer, they gobble at. I stop. And then I'll let them keep gobbling, and very seldom will I yelp any more than that. Make them want it. Make them want it. So you're building up, you're already building up, and you're already got their attention, your direction to pitch out. If I feel like they're turning and now lost interest, in my and honing in on my spot, I'll give them another little tree call and turn them back around. Because I want them when it gets time for them to pitch out, I want them to pitch out my direction. A lot of people probably screw that up, don't they? Because when they're still on the roost, they hear them respond and they want to come right back at them, and then they gobble and they mm-hmm. want to keep him. At least that's what I've done the past. Yeah, because it's exciting. They well, they call back. And I'm like, well, I'm they're more. gobbling so good, and usually there's three or four up there mm-hmm. gobbling. And you're just and getting you think excited. you're getting them more fired yeah. up and going to get them to come down. A, but you just made a huge point. Uh, you want actually want to do the opposite. And a yeah. huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you, you actually want to do the opposite. You actually want to say you want to let them know you're there. But but look, honey, if you yep. want if you want to have fun this morning, you are going to have to seek me out. Yeah. And you can't send that's that. right. Yeah, that's right. And you can't send that message. You can't send that message by overcalling. You can't send that message by calling every time they gobble. Got to play hard to get. Got to play a little hard. Now, but it's crazy because that's your strategy on the tree, right? But if, say, they 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 flew down, and they're just not coming in, they're held up or whatever, a couple hundred yards out, and they all of a sudden you're wondering why all of a sudden you see a hen come out of nowhere. So at that point, I mean, you got to be the loudest girl at the dance, right? Exactly. (laughs) Then you change your uh, your calling pattern to uh, passive to aggressive. 
And so, uh, you know, from soft to loud. Uh, so what I'll do typically is give fly, fly down cackle to make them think that a, that a hen, that hen that he heard earlier has now just mm-hmm. fl- flown down. And now I'm going to give him a reason to think, well, maybe, maybe she'll be a little bit more fun than the other hen she's, he's here, you know, he's hearing. Do you always wait for that for when they fly down? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so fly down cackle is just, it's just cutting in, 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 in a pattern uh, that they're flying out of limb. And then I'll get some. And, 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 and hopefully they'll gobble back at me and we'll get, now we'll get kind of an excitement thing going. If they gobble back at me, I'm going to, and if a hen calls back at me and say a hen starts yelping, I'm going to come back. sound more excited than her i'm going to try and out call her when you do your fly down do you ever do like the wing beats or you know like absolutely okay absolutely a lot of times with my hat yeah dad i I always see dad do that a lot i never yeah oh (laughs) (laughs) we just got another light in here (laughs) i used to have hair yeah that that one of the things you just mentioned there trying to out call the hen is one of those things that i picked up that seems to work really well if you can get her fired up that there's another hen there and and i since i don't know what i'm doing i'm just trying to figure it out still i will mimic her so what i hear her do i'll try to do but then be more aggressive with it and that seemed to have pulled in hens with with towns behind them the the, the issue always is when the hen just gets fed up with you and goes straight to the the long period that's the problem right absolutely absolutely and then and then um that's when I'll back when if I see that they're now not going to make the commitment to me, you have to make a decision. Do you want to go to another turkey? You want to stay with him? If I'm going to stay with that turkey, uh, then I'm going to then back off my calling and start to do the soft calling, the soft yelping. I'm going to get a limb and I'm going to spend some time at that tree and do some feed talk and just let him know that I'm still going to be here later on. When you're done with those hens, I'm 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 going to be here. You may need to come back and and, and check me out. One thing. Uh, uh, Big Ed Moyers. I know you've heard this name many times, and Mark and Terry know Big Ed. But Eddie Moyers always, I always say, my dad taught me to hunt turkeys, and Big Ed taught me how to kill turkeys. (laughs) And Big Ed always said that a gobbler never never forgets where he heard a hen from. He may not know what he's going to do three minutes from now as far as uh, in the future, but he remembers where he heard a hen from. And he'll also remember exactly what tree and how many leaves was in that tree that that hen was standing by. He know that's how well they know that that forest and that area and that that terrain. And so uh, many times, many times, uh, they'll sneak back in quietly later on when they're done servicing the hens and check out those spots that they heard hens earlier. Hmm. Um, so if you have a lot of patience and you have nothing else going on, there's no other turkeys gobbling anywhere. You don't have a place. You're limited in your land. You don't have a place to go run and gun and. And, and try and get a hot one going. Uh, you may want to spend some time right there because remember, he was there earlier. He was right there earlier, all morning and all night, the night before, and spent yeah. probably two, three hours before he went to roost right there. So, what makes you think that he wouldn't be comfortable coming back to that spot later on in the morning that's, when he needs a hen? That's a good point. A lot of times when we're hunting, and <clears throat> once the morning hunt 
goes awry and you don't kill one off the roost, usually it's, you know, plan B, C, D, E. <laughs> There's <laughs> breakfast usually in there somewhere. <laughs> and so a lot of times, you know, we'll end up going – hunting with dad and hunting with Mark are two vastly different styles. So hunting with dad, he, he's – you know, it'll be, all right, let's go just set up over here, you know, and we'll start calling, see if we, you know, can get one to respond. But typically I see him come over in this area. It's whatever. But with Mark, I mean, he's very much an aggressive and, and every style, deer, you know, turkey, whatever. Sure. He's going to go, you know, cut and run, cut and run, cut and run, and try to find one, get one to respond, shot gobble, whatever, and then they go go in. So I don't know if Mark's style may have changed a, a little more recently with, with ground blinds and stuff like that, but I know that's how it used to be anyways. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it, there's a lot to be said for both styles. Um, one of the things, and I've hunted with Ray I quite a bit throughout my career, a legendary turkey hunter, and, and he really is. He's one of the best I've ever hunted with. Um, and, and Ray is the one that taught me uh, that you, to, 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 to kill turkeys when, th- when chips are down, when they're not gobbling, when, when uh, they're hand up, when those tough times, you, the better you know the terrain, the better you know the turkey's kind of little patterns and what they like to do, like your Uncle Terry hunt, or your dad likes to hunt. Uh, the, the better you're going to do in those type of situations. So Ray will spend days, days and days, just scouting, listening, watching, glassing. More more time and patience than I ever usually Ray have. Ray probably with, has more time and yeah, patience. Yeah, than yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he probably packs a sandwich with him, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, which I would too if I was going to stay out there that long. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is he, he glasses, yeah. listens, patterns watches he watches where they like to fly down and hang in the morning he watches where they go mid-morning he watches where they like to strut in the early afternoon and he'll spend literally all that time for days first before he has his outdoor riders and his media yeah. hunts and that's why he does so well yeah because he just knows, he knows his herd he knows his flock. turkeys his flock yeah you said herd I, that's I okay said, then i changed it to flock <laughs> i know you did speaking, <laughs> speaking of mistakes what are, what are what are some of the other biggest mistakes that turkey hunters make um i, I already i already mentioned calling too much on the roost and stuff but are there any, any other things that you commonly see come up with beginner turkey hunters or even those that have been hunting a lot but still yeah, are screwing up probably not wearing mossy oak oh. <laughs> well, guilty as charged then <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, that's serious. Yeah, good camouflage is, is huge. Everybody, you know, and I know Ray, Ray even doesn't uh, wear any. Really, pick on Ray a little bit because he, he, and he's right. If you, if you pick up the, if you uh, find the right place to set up, and you're uh, got good background cover, sometimes what you're wearing really don't make any difference. And and Ray proves that. He, yeah. He, he actually will will he's shoot a, him in a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Bib, bib overalls. <laughs> bib overalls. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, and and, and awesome. it's a test to me. It's a testament to how great a turkey hunter he is. Yeah. But the, most people can't get away with most the kind people of movement. Can't get away with I mean, that. you got to be really, really still in the turkey. Absolutely. Woods. When you're trying to get him in that kind of range and. Especially if you're bow hunting, and, and I can tell you what mossy oak you can get away with a little more than most of the other ones in the, in, the, in the industry. So that that's huge. But um, the biggest mistake I think people make with turkey hunting is is not setting up properly. Um, a lot of people don't realize, and I mentioned earlier in bow hunting, sometimes you have to back up. And I find, and when you get into filming, you kind of learn setup way better because uh, you know in our early years with Drury Outdoors. 
Uh, we had a lot of uh, crappy kills, to be honest with oh, you. Oh, the timber hunts, they yeah, suck. We'd sit down and turn, cut the camera on, yeah. and then you'd see a eyeball or a, yeah. you know, just a, you'd identify it was a turkey, obviously, uh, but not good footage. But, yeah, not good footage because the cameraman usually didn't have the same setup as the hunter. Well, it was, turkey hunting, at period, is harder to film than white tips, yeah. in my opinion. Well, I think that's why Mark, Mark loves the, well, and Dad, I mean, they, they love the ground blind field edges you know it's the yes. same with deer it's it looks it looks it's visually better. nice yeah. it's visually appealing yeah Absolutely. set the decoys out and and catch what happens there you know so uh um you know uh what were we talking about i'm I've now lost my train of thought turkey mistakes <clears throat> turkey mistakes, mistakes. You talking yeah. about setup yeah and setup yes. and and so now you're in a situation where uh maybe uh start thinking about maybe ha- backing up uh if you're if you if you uh, locate a turkey um, and he gobbles and he cuts you off and he's close and you and 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 typically if a turkey gobble uh, cuts you off, say with an owl hoot or a crow call, and uh, I'll demonstrate like, <laughs> and he cuts it off. Well, then switch to a sw- switch to a little light turkey call, a little light yelp. If he answers that, if he cuts you off, he's ready to work. I mean, he's ready. If he answered. The locator call now answer, cuts off the turkey call. You've now caught him in that mood. There's a window of about 30 minutes, if I had to put a time on it, that they fire up. And now they, they want that hen. They want that. They want to come. You have to take advantage of that 30-minute window that they're fired up, or you could actually not call them in and not get them killed. And, and so that window of time, you have to pick the exact a good spot, get set up, and start working them or you'll lose, he'll lose interest very quick. Um, in that 30-minute fire-up window, you may actually have to back up to a more open spot that, that is better for if you're filming, for filming, or just to kill him. Because if you're setting in a spot he don't want to come to, it's too thick, he's scared of a coyote or a bobcat getting him, and he just it's one of those thick spots he just won't come to. And even if, even if he does come to 20 yards, you won't get a shot at him. It's crazy to sit down in a spot like that. Yeah. So one of the biggest mistakes a turkey hunter can make is choosing a bad spot to set up. Conversely, you don't want to set up in a spot where he can see too far through the timber, especially if the timber's open. If he gets to a point he should see the hen and don't, he's going to hang up. He's going to hang up 75 yards out and sit there and gobble and say, okay, I've made my commitment. You make your commitment because now I know where you should be. I can see to where you should be. And I see nothing. Yeah. And same way with big whitetail bucks. Yeah. That creates a different, yeah. puts them in a different mood. Yeah. And you don't want to change the mood of that turkey. He's fired up. He's ready to come. Any little bad setup, to, a poor setup, is going to change his mood. <clears throat> well, we've heard a ton of good advice today. I mean, I'm, I'm ready just, for turkey I'm season to start. Hunting, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got to couple weeks yet. yeah i've got a ways what about you're pretty soon though right you're Steve? you're going on this i'm leaving thursday morning for tommy borns uh where i used to for many many years and your and your uncle mark and uh and 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 your dad terry knew tommy born very well he lost his life 20 years ago this year in 1997 uh he was a sheriff's deputy in 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 jefferson county mississippi and he was transporting a prisoner um they were not far from the courthouse in Prentice and got a call to come back and get a, transport another prisoner. And unfortunately, while they were out of the vehicle, uh, just just one of those maybe only happens in southern Mississippi. I don't know. 
but one of the sheriffs, not Tommy, the other sheriff's deputy, left his gun laying in the front seat. Wow. Not thinking. Yeah. They had a prisoner in the back. Sure. And uh, literally left with the two, now two prisoners. They added a prisoner. And the first prisoner that they were hauling, he was a very dangerous individual. Uh, he got a hold of that gun. They didn't notice the gun was missing and start traveling up the highway. And that prisoner opened fire, point blank range from the from the uh, back seat. And uh, he, 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 he killed Tommy and killed his uh, partner. Both sheriff's deputy, deputies lost their life that day. And it was one of the worst days of my life because, you know, Tommy was like, I hunted with him like uh, your brother or your dad and, 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 and your brother. I mean, I, it was a ritual to hunt with yeah. Tommy Bourne. Him and I hunted for years together. So it was a very, very tough pill to swallow. But uh, for many years, I couldn't go back down there and hunt uh, for 10 years, actually. And then uh, I got to know all his buddies down there. Mm -hmm. And so 10 years from 1997 to 2007, I, I never went back. And then in 2007 U.S. Open in um, Pearl, Mississippi, uh, I was down there to compete. I was with my buddy Chris Parrish with Knight Hale and the, all the group of callers, Walter, all the guys were there. And uh, they, they showed up at that contest. And I go, what are you guys doing here? And, it, you know, Prentice is only about 80 miles south of, of Jackson. And they said, well, we're here to hear you compete in the U.S. Open. I looked at one of them. I go, you guys didn't come here to hear me call. And he goes, no, we didn't. <laughs> they wanted to ask me to come back and do a, a to, to start turkey hunting down there wow. again and kind of do a Tommy Bourne memorial turkey hunt. That's so, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool deal. So now, ever since then, uh, I've been going down with those guys. They've got a cabin that I stay at. I mean, I'm, you know, you're treated like royalty. They feed me well. And anytime Fat Boy has food, I'm going to go. <laughs> and so, uh, and the turkey hunting's still phenomenal. Yeah, down there. good. Yeah, yeah, cool deal. And uh, 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 I'm. I'm going to be traveling down there Thursday, and that's where I start my turkey season usually every year down there with those guys and relive the times we had with Tommy. We always have a cookout. Just typical, we'll have a cookout on Saturday night. Friday night, we'll probably be at a fish house because yep. I'm Catholic and it's during Lent. Yep. Um, so just kind of a, a just a fun, fun kind of not not so much emphasis on the turkey hunt. No pressure. It's as just it, a good no, time. no pressure. Just get together and, and with old friends and have fun. Very good. Well, we it's certainly awesome. appreciate you joining us, and it was uh, very informative. Every time I hear you talk about turkeys, it's you always pick something up new. So thank you well, for, cool. for I'm glad I could help sharing your you know wealth of knowledge with us. Thanks for, for sure. having me in the studio at Drury. Good to yeah, be back. Absolutely. Uh, like I said to your Uncle Mark, you're just not going to get rid of me. <clears throat> you're a brother. I'm not going to go away. <laughs> Extended family, that's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, with that, should we wrap this one up, man? Absolutely. All right, well, the quick reminder for me, as always, would just be to subscribe to the audio version of the podcast if you haven't yet already, which you can do on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, all sorts of places like that. And then, uh, you know, send us in your questions. We'd love to answer more questions like this. We've got a bunch coming up here in the next couple of weeks we're going to be working on, but uh, you can send in new questions at wiredtohunt.com slash 100% wild. And Matt? For me, check us out on YouTube at the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel, and uh, we're doing a ton of original hunts. We have Killing It in the, kitch uh, Killing it in the Kitchen with Taylor, a lot of new stuff that we're doing uh, in 2017. So you can always check us out there. Go to Facebook.com uh, slash Official Drury Outdoors or Twitter, Instagram, at Drury Outdoors. Thanks for joining us, as always, and until next time, peace. We'll see ya. Thank you.